going on, everybody? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner. Joined for our first week ahead podcast here, and I'm joined by our executive producer, director and publisher of Oil & Gas 360, Stu Turley. He's coming to us from Dallas. How are you doing today, Stu? I'm doing fantastic, and thanks for letting me be uh, on your show. Sure appreciate it. Of course, no problem. I'm excited to get this going. This is our first uh, week ahead podcast. We're actually recording this on a Sunday afternoon, but this should drop in everybody's inbox um, probably about Monday morning, specifically on the iTunes and the uh, Spotify feed. You can probably, if you want, if you see this show through the digital closing bell, which we've just launched our new digital bell closing ticker, you can see this. Go to www.oilandgas360.com. You can sign up for that email. You can see about a digital ticker, it's about a two minute overview of exactly kind of what happened in terms of the pricing that day. And then we also get into kind of my one big thing of the day. This is going to be a much more of a longer form podcast. We're going to drop these. Mondays and Fridays, and it's just going to be a really good time. This is what I'm, you know, what I want to do today is we've got a great show lined up. We're going to talk about a recent podcast that I appeared on and how, you know, the Saudi and Russia stuff is really playing out really what the heck is happening with oil price. We're going to check on the oil levels for the week. We're going to check out our commitment of traders. We're going to take a look at a quick economic calendar, see what's coming up. And then we're going to give one company to watch as Alex um, we're going to give a, a company to watch for. But before we do that, I need to shamelessly plug the stuff we're doing right now. First, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe to the show. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter, at Entercom and at Oil and Gas 360. LinkedIn, follow Oil and Gas 360. Entercom, follow Michael Tanner. That's me, Stu Turley, who's their REP right there. Um, we're dropping all sorts of content, both on the website and on all of these forms. We've got new videos um, covering JCA, who has a really cool drilling uh, rig light that we just dropped last week. A Haynes and Boone interview with Aaron, uh, who's the president, Aaron Vanderford, the president of, of Entercom, he sat down with the Haynes and Boone people and really gave a great overview on the state of the market and what's that really going to do with all the M&A deals that are going to happen, you know, through all these, you know, bankruptcies that we're going to see. There's also an ESG video that Stu was a part of that, that was actually hosted by Dan Genovese, who's the director of consulting at um, Entercom. And, and they really talked about, you know, ESG and what that project looks like going forward. I mean, that's kind of really when we look ahead this week and not to get too deep into it, but really what we see when we look ahead is people are nervous. This is a very tumultuous time right now and it'll be very interesting to see what happens, but those are kind of our shameless plugs. And with that, we're going to go ahead and dive in to our first segment, which I just want to get people caught up on what's going on with the prize of oil. I think everybody listening to this podcast right now, you know, really knows that, that, that over the past three weeks, not only is the market taking a you know, really taking a dive because of the coronavirus, but oil price on top of that has done everything. We were trading about $40, $45 uh, before March 5th. March 5th came out. Obviously, the Saudi Russian news came out. Oil is now trading. You know, last I looked, crude oil, 22.63. That's our crude oil futures contracts. Actually, it's going to open up here in about, you know, three, two, three hours here, three o'clock uh, uh, mountain time. That's when the futures market opened on Sunday. So we'll see that. Um, number move here in a little bit. But really what I just want to do right now is quickly go over what's happened and how we've gotten to this point. You know, this being our first episode, I think it's really good to kind of line up what exactly happened, how did we get to this point, and what does that mean going forward? So as I'm sure you know, and, and you know, we're recording this uh, on a Sunday, March 22nd. So if this drops tomorrow and there's some insane coronavirus news that that, 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 that will drop this morning. I, I, we, we can't cover it. So we, we, you know, if anything crazy happens tomorrow, the entire country goes down on quarantine, which you know, right now it's just a couple countries, but that'll definitely change a little bit. And that's really the first insane issue that's going on with oil right now. And, and before we even get into that, 
um, how oil is traded is and the reason why I, I, I got into this industry and, and specifically on the trading side was oil is a pure supply demand commodity. There's physical barrels produced, and that means that the price of oil, specifically when we talk about our CL contract or our West Texas Intermediate that's traded on the NYMEX, it's physical supply and physical demand. That's what drives the market. If we think that's why on Wednesdays when the when uh, the EIA crude inventories number drops, that's why those are insane market mover because it's telling you exactly how much crude is either was either added to Cushing or taken away from Cushing, which is one of our biggest storage areas. So COVID-19 and coronavirus, what's that done to us is it's been a huge, huge slag on what we call the demand side of oil. And basically global oil production is dropping from around $100, or excuse me, 100 million barrels a day. And that was the average about 100 million barrels a day in 2019 to about 10 to 20 million barrels are being taken off the market due to coronavirus specifically. That's due to the shutdowns everywhere. China has slowed down. They're not buying as much crude oil. Italy is in complete lockdown. They're obviously not not buying much. The airline industries are about to get pounded. And we'll kind of briefly touch on that coming up when we talk about our one company to watch. But there is a huge, huge demand drop. And to kind of put that in perspective, this is what I think is the craziest thing. So there's really two, you know, there's really two main events that we all look at when we talk about insane oil price volatility. That was 2009 during the economic crash of 2019 and the 1980 oil crash. Those two events saw a combined 3.65 million barrel taken off the market. Right now, we're looking at an average of 10 to 20 million barrels per day being taken off. That is an absolutely incredible difference. You know, originally Goldman Sachs had told us it was going to be about 4 million. Now there are people coming out and saying 10 to 20. So regardless of what that number is, whether it's five, like Goldman Sachs is, or it's up in that 10 to 20 range, like some of this new stuff is coming out, it's a huge glut of oil being taken off the market. And that's just what's really begin to dive oil. There's so much supply. It'll be very interesting to see what these numbers come out for um, crude inventories this week. They're projected to be a 2 million build. I would probably expect that to be a little higher, but it'll be interesting to see because no one is really shut in wells. But that's just one side of the equation. So there's this coronavirus demand side problem where there's all these barrels being taken off the market. But then there's the other side of it, which is the Russia-Sauda-Saudi oil price war. Sorry, give me a second here. Um, the Russia-Sauda oil price war. And that's the other side of the equation, which is the supply side. So we just talked about the demand side. And when there's more demand on the market, price goes down. But what happens if there's also then, excuse me, uh, less demand, price goes down? Well, why would you, you know, no, no one's buying it. But if there's more supply on the market, price goes down as well. And that's exactly what happens. We all know Sauda is rushing on, on March 5th. Uh, OPEC and OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, came out and said they are not going to continue to cut production, what they've been doing for about the past two years, but instead they're going to flood the market. Saudi has officially come out and said, we're going to put about 3 million barrels per day more on the market, which is just absolutely incredible, incredible number. They were producing about 9 million barrels. They want to bring that up to anywhere between 12 and a half to 13 million barrels of oil. And really how we got here was this back and forth pull. And it's, it's, it's a much longer history lesson. And I would really recommend if you want to hear sort of the longer version of this, I went on a podcast last week that hopefully I'll be able to get the audio for because it, it was through another provider, but hopefully I can get that and we'll be able to cut it in here. I did about an hour going over this, but really it's just a light history lesson. All it is is 2010 to 2014, uh, rising US oil production was really putting a huge burden on Saudi Arabia and the market share that they had. These guys are all about how can we gain market share? What is the best method to do in order to make sure that we can control market? Because imagine if you're if you were running a country and all of a sudden you had um, and 70% of your revenue was based upon one item. 70%, 70 to 80% of your entire government revenue was based on one market. Wouldn't you do your level-headed best to make sure that you can um, 
you know, control that price because you want to be able to produce, you want to be able to, you know, take out loans as a government from, you know, institution, you know, large institutional banks. And they want to know, well, what's your projected country revenue going to be? And so if it's all the price of oil, much like Saudi Arabia, um, Saudi Arabia's, then you have a huge, they have a huge, huge reason to want to make sure to be able to control that price of oil. And, um, yeah, make sure to be able to control that price. And that's exactly what they're doing, really what they're, they're you know, and, and that's what they're doing. So when U.S. oil production rises from 2010 to 2014, that oil price was about 90 to $110. Everybody's making money. But the problem is U.S. oil is becoming the biggest and best seller on the market and everybody wants it. So what happens in November of 2014? OPEC de decides to clear their first war on U.S. shale by doing the exact same thing. They flood the market and tank the oil price. Oil price drops to about $20 and stays there till about 2016, where after about two years, OPEC decided to raise the by five. $20 oil doesn't do anybody good. Now, Saudi Arabia and Russia, they might be able to do a little bit. Specific, I don't even, I'm not even sure about Russia, but specifically when it comes to Saudi Arabia, that's ex um, they can sustain a low Lowish oil, but no one else can. I, I've seen numbers where Libya needs about $138 oil price to sustain government spending. $138 oil. I don't know if it'll ever go back to that room. Um, I don't know if it'll ever go back to that level, but that's just kind of give you an example of what they need. So 2016, OPEC decides to wave the white flag and they begin to cut production. And that's really what we've seen for the past four years. About every four months when OPEC meets, generally in Vienna, they come out and they say, well, we've agreed to about 100,000 to 200,000 barrel per day cut. And generally with Saudi Arabia leading the way, they have the biggest oil volumes and have the most amount to cut. So they usually come out and, and, and they've been talking about cutting. Recently, and when I mean recently, I mean as of December, January of this year, December of last um, of 2019, Russia has become very resistant to really wanting to push out and continue to do these cuts. They would like to continue to produce more oil. They make a lot of money off oil. They can produce some of their oil fields at very, very low cost, which allow them to increase production and not necessarily worry about what the price of oil is because they can produce at such a low cost. So they began, they, they, they began to tentatively tell people they weren't interested in cutting anymore. And to be honest, the market did not take that seriously. Nobody really cared. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We will see what happens at the OPEC meeting. And what happened in the OPEC meeting was the exact opposite of what everybody happened. And that, uh, they, they met March 5th and the markets plunged 10% off the news that not only are they not going to cut production, but, but Saudi Arabia in response to Russia not agreeing to the production cuts will go from 9 million barrels of production a day to obviously 12 and a half to 13 million barrels per day um, as, as they're projected. And that absolutely tanked the market. It was the largest one day drop since the Gulf War and we invaded on June on January 17th in 1991. March 9th when those markets reopened and really took into account what was going to happen. Um, it was a 25% drop in the price. I mean, that was one of those times where I don't know if you can tell me, Stu, I know where I was when I can tell you exactly what I was doing, I was sitting on my couch and about 10 minutes before the oil price opened, uh, the markets opened here, I got the news that it was going to happen. And it was probably the craziest 10 minutes watching that market open and fall down. I don't know, do you remember what you were doing when you found out this was going to happen? Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty bad. I had family in that um, uh, attack and everything else. So it was not only just looking at the oil, it was had knowing people that were there. Yeah, no, that's terrible. Um, 
So yeah, besides that big oil price drop, and, and so, you know, we can get much more deep into, you know, and that's why I really, you know, telling you, please go listen to that podcast that I listen. I'll make sure to have that linked on my LinkedIn. I, you know, we do about an hour of going over this and it's really a history lesson. I have a, maybe a, a Google document that I might be able to post that has some more information with that. I talk a lot more about kind of what the effects of that are going to be on the market. Why does this hurt American shale so much? And that's, you know, uh, you know, that's really, I think the key and I want to lightly touch on is this hurts American shale and specifically American shale operators the worst because they not only do a lot of these shale basins rely on hydraulic fracturing, which increases your cost per barrel in terms of the break-even point you need. But the problem is a lot of these, there's about 200 billion in debt maturing in the oil and gas field over the next four years, specifically with 50 billion of that coming this year. And with these low of prices, there's not a lot of room for these companies to continue to make their debt obligations. Now, the problem is as long as you continue to produce oil and at least be able to make some of these debt repayments, these banks are probably going to continue to just not call the debt immediately or force these companies into bankruptcy. The problem is when these, if these oil prices keep going lower, operators are going to have no choice but to shut in. And then all of a sudden, if you shut in your wells, the, the, the company who you're paying your debt, regardless if you have cash in the bank or not, will be like, well, okay, we're going to call your debt immediately. It happens sometimes in the real estate industry and it specifically happens in oil and gas. And that's why, even though, you know, you see a lot of, you know, a lot of talking heads in the industry right now, especially on LinkedIn and CNBC, they're talking about, you know, U.S. should shut in oil production. Texas came out. We talked about that in my one big thing on Friday. Texas should come in and cut production and, and limit, you know, 10% of what's going on in the market. You know, I don't know if that's the best. I, I don't know if I necessarily like that method, but the problem is, you know, unless if oil continues to tumble, the only thing operators will have to do is shut it. And that's just going to make this cycle going to be quicker. So it'll, this will be an interesting follow this week. And I just wanted to give people kind of an overview more from a trading perspective, you know, why oil price drops, it's pure, it's pure supply and demand. At the moment there's any rumors that come out and talk about whether the supplier demand is going to be affected, that moves the markets. And unfortunately, we're living in such a crazy time. Both things are happening that are driving the market down even more. I mean, if you're following the normal equities markets, they're down as well, especially the energy equities markets are getting pounded. But that's because a lot of this stuff. And so that, again, if you want to see that interview, please go check out that podcast. I'll have it linked on my LinkedIn. Next thing I really want to talk about is, you know, is, is just the next segment is we're going to dive into the oil price levels. And these are uh, the oil price levels and the commitment of traders. And this uh, segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. And these are the guys, the energy research analysts that really are in charge of all the research for this podcast. They do really incredible work in the research advisory hedging solutions phase. They have a really diverse set of derivatives that are available both for small and large producers. Cause that's what we know. You know, large producers love to get into a lot of these more complex positions when a small operator, you know, really you, you just want a couple derivative options to choose from that allows you to kind of manage your risk perfectly. And that's exactly what these guys provide. If you want to email Connor at sandstonecg.com or give them a call at 949-561-1818 extension two, they're going to give you more information and make sure to mention this podcast for a discount. If you don't mention this podcast, we don't get credit. First of all, I don't get credit if you don't mention this podcast and you won't get that little discount if you decide to have any services provided. So make sure you mention the podcast. It's going to be, um, and it'll help you get that. First thing we're going to look at before we get into the levels is the commitment to traders. For those of you who don't know what the commitment to traders is, if you are a professional that trades oil, like you said, you are registered, you have your series three, someone like me, we have to do what's called report our trades. And that is um, the FTC and specifically the commitment of traders, they follow and you have to report what you trade. And there's four different categories that break down. There are, you know, we, they break them down into producers, merchants, swap dealers, manage money, and other reportables. Basically what this is, is it tells you what different types of professional oil traders are doing in the week prior. And actually it's, 
it's Tuesday through Tuesday, and then they release that Friday. So for this week, it's March 10th through the 17th, which is just during the start of all of this coronavirus stuff. So I always tell people, you know, you know, the, these numbers are really interesting to look at because it gives an idea of where these professional traders are at. But if it's if there's so much movement that's happening in the market right now, it'll be a very interesting thing to see what happened. And so when we look at the commitment of traders, specifically for crude oil this week, the two categories I like to look at are producers, merchants, processors, and users, and the managed money. Producers, merchants, and process users, along with swap dealers, those are everybody that's hedging. Those are oil companies that are hedging either for higher or lower oil prices and engaging in those type of derivative deals. Managed money is exactly what you think of. It's hedge funds, it's institutions trading, and then it's guys like um, retail traders who may or may not be, um, it's, it's retail traders specifically like myself who are certified but don't necessarily trade with a large institutional um, thing. And so the really interesting thing is, is it breaks it down by how many contracts were bought long and how many contracts were bought short. And it's a very interesting and cool view is what are the people who quote unquote do this for a living and I do that for the, for the people listening on this podcast, I'm doing air quotes. Do this for a living because it's very difficult to do, especially if you're trading the financial versions of this. But it gives a good idea of where the professionals think the market's going to go. But as we know, in this type of tumultuous market, like I mentioned, this is only a Tuesday to Tuesday. So we need to make sure that, okay, a lot of stuff has happened in between when this came out, you know, and then when they stopped pulling, which was on March 17th. So first thing I want to look at is the, is the managed money or what are the hedge funds? What do the wise guys think are happening? And right now, long, there's about 233,000 contracts long. To give you an idea, that's a 25,000 contract drop from the week before. So that makes sense. Oil's going down. People are going to be selling their long positions as it's falling. And specific, excuse me, specifically the 10th through the 17th, people were selling like crazy. Now, the interesting part is the short positions on the hedge funds actually were dropped too. So that tells me two things. One, hedge funds, at least, you know, last week really thought oil was going to continue to go lower. They, or they, they thought oil was bottoming out. They were selling their long positions, but they weren't adding to their short positions, which is very interesting. And it'll be very interesting. And I think that number will flip when these next numbers come out, because as you know, oil has continued to go down from the 17th now here all the way to the 22nd. So it'll be very interesting to see if those from the 17th through the 20th, uh, through the 24th, when we see our numbers next week, to see if they are. I would wager to bet that number is flipped and you're going to see a lot more short position opened up. Now, the interesting thing is <laughs> there's a lot of talk about the Trump administration coming out and banning short positions. Now, that's specifically for the equities and securities markets. I don't like that. That's someone as, 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 as somebody who is, you know, actively trades the markets. I don't like when someone tells me I can't necessarily do that because of the tumultuous times, but you know, these are crazy times we're living in. So it'll be very interesting to see what that short number does. And the more that continues to rise and it's you know dropped, but long positions have dropped as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of oil price levels this week. I mean, I'm looking at the chart right now. It's nasty. Really. There's three big levels. I see right now, oil closed at um, our CLs right now is trading at 2340 market quite hasn't opened yet. There are two levels or there are three levels that I really see that I think play are going to play a big role this week. First off, I think that's going to be the mid, I think it's going to be 24 even. There is a huge amount of volume and, and how I pick levels out just so everybody knows is I look at volume. Um, there, there's a, you, you can do all these fancy analysis where you have moving averages, RSI, stochastic RSIs. You can have 75 indicators sitting on a chart and all they're doing is predicting what's hap what all they're doing is taking the price that happened previously, doing some sort of finance or doing some sort of statistical analysis on it, and then projecting forward. The reason why I like volume is because it's actually what is traded. Volume is telling me 
how much volume was traded at this price. Then it basically tells you if there's a lot of volume at one price, people who are trading, which is uh, trading a lot of volume, large headphones, large institutions, they're buying or selling at that level. So there's something interesting about that level. You know, the levels that have very little volume traded at, I don't really care about that much. And when, you know, specifically if you go look at, and I will make sure to link the charts that I use, our, our trading view charts, all open source. I want people to be able to see these levels. But when you go and look at these charts after this podcast, what you'll see is there are even times throughout the day, and that's talking about seven to 10, which there is a huge spike of volume that gets traded for for oil every single day. That's the time when most of those active people trade. So if you want, if you want to know the time of the day, that's really nice to trade 7 a.m. Mountain time, 10 a.m. Mountain time. That's a really good three hour window. Liquid contracts. There's a lot of contracts being coming out. You can get in and out of position very easily. What I like to do then is take that horizontal volume and I like to plot it vertically on my X axis or on my Y axis, which basically gives me how much volume is traded at each price. And the bigger the volume that's traded at each price, I call them sticky levels. Oil loves to go back and loves to find levels that a lot of people have traded at. And really when you look at the chart, there's three levels I'm seeing that I really think we should care about. Right now it's the $24 range. There's a lot of volume getting traded at $24. If we can't get above that, I don't see oil jumping up and I could see being depressed from there. The next level is $24.75. Uh, $24 That's the next big bench volume. And you know, if you're looking at a chart, it was where one of the big it was it was where two weeks, it was where a week and a half ago, one of the big drops to it stopped it settled that one rose a little bit back up to 28 and then it's come back and fallen back down to it it's a really good level and i think if we can get if we can get above 24 specifically get above 24 27 the next level that i really like is 28 dollars because that was where a huge bench of volume was put out right before this whole thing started right before the big corona right before coronavirus really kicked in remember there was the saudi russia stuff that happened and then really that week on top of that we had all of this coronavirus it was really a one-two punch it was like a you get you get i, I described it in that podcast as like a two-hand jab one you know, coronavirus got us to the ribs saudi and russia took it we took a right one squared of the jaw i don't know is that a good analogy is there anything else you would you would throw on that Oh, no, it was horrible. I mean, talk about a perfect storm. I hate to use those words, but uh, I've never seen anything like it. It really was. It was unbelievable. So, and so that $28 level is sort of that next higher level that I see. If we can bump up from $24, specifically $24.75, I think that's the next level this thing rises to. You can take it and look at my charts. I'm looking at it now. To the downside, I, the, the downside is hard to talk about because we're in uncharted territory. You know, the last time we were trading at this level was back in 2002 and that was a different oil market. You can't compare what's happened now to what, or to what, what happened then. So in, in my opinion, you know, it would be irresponsible of me to say what the floor is. Now, what I have heard is $16 is an interesting level and in that if oil does take one of those level steps down, it's about 1680. That's the number that I see from a lot of from people that I trust. But I think it'd be irresponsible of me to tell you a downside level I'm looking for. Um, if anything develops, I'll let you know. But, you know, the floor on this is zero because Saudi Arabia has the ability to increase production as much as they want. And right now, oil and gas companies with all of this debt are getting, or U.S. shale companies are getting absolutely hammered. So, you know, realistically, the floor is zero. But if you want to talk about, it, if you want to see some levels on the down, you know, that as this thing continues to chunk down, I think sixteen dollars is a is a very interesting level. 
All right, let's dive into quickly before we get to our one company of the day. I just want to run over the trading calendar. We'll try to get to this every week. Um, Tuesday, we're going to have the API numbers come out. That's a um, big, big number. And a lot of people think that Wednesday, when the crude inventory numbers come out at 830, that that's a big market mover. It is. The problem is the American Petroleum Institute you know, has started coming out with their numbers on Tuesday, which means the comparison between the API and the crude inventory numbers are really the fascinating thing. When, when the API and I... I the American Petroleum Institute numbers come out at 2.30 p.m., which is whether we had crude inventory build or crude inventory drop. That number immediately gets priced in the market. Let's say, for an example, it was a $4 million build. Well, when Wednesday and the commitment of, or, and when Wednesday and the crude inventories level come out, if they're the exact same numbers, you'll notice the market doesn't move. If there's a difference on one side or the other, that's when the market moves. So I love looking at the API numbers because I want to know, okay, what is everyone pricing in for builds? And then I love to see those API numbers and do a comparison. Are they going to be the same? And that's really how the market moves in terms of how they move based upon these crude inventory levels. Like I said, American Petroleum Institute comes out at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Crude inventories come out Wednesday at 8.30. The other really good number I want to take a look at, and this is more for a coronavirus update, is durable goods. Durable goods, or what's called core durable goods, is a really good projection for basically how much stuff is purchased that's going to last longer than three years. And it's a very good projection of basically, are people buying things that they're going to continue to use for a while? And it's a good number that if you're trading the S&P 500, you should already know about durable goods. Um, if you're trading oil, you don't necessarily need to know about it, but, but because of the tumultuous times we're living in, I felt it was necessary to talk about it. That was a 1.2% uh, Last quarter, they projected a negative 0.4% drop in durable goods, which is a terrible number to say. Most recessions, we just usually see it drop to, you know, the, 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 the low point ones. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen this number negative per se. I have to go back and do a little more research. But to see durable goods come out this, you know, when it drops Wednesday morning, they're projecting a negative. And what's, what, what's unfortunately is that only takes into account just a little bit of coronavirus. It's this next quarter that comes up that's just going to be an unbelievable amount, especially for durable goods. Obviously, crude inventories come out at 830. Um, they're projecting about a 2 million build. I don't know how, you know, API doesn't really come out with their decent projections. Um, 2 million build, I think that's a little light. You know, if, if you want to look, if, you know, if you want my opinion on what I think is going to happen, you know, coming up this week in terms of crude inventories, I think that number is going to be a lot higher. I don't think companies are shutting off production. Um, it's just not the, the information that's been passed my way, but I could always be wrong. And, you know, these markets definitely do that. So I would look to see a, a bigger of a build and we'll, we'll sort of know what's going to happen when those API numbers come out this week. All right, final segment here. I just want to talk a little bit and we're going to go over one company each week from, you know, that, that we think that we should watch out for. And this week we're talking about Ring Energy and I want to kick it over to Stu. He's going to kind of give a little overview of the company and then I'm going to chat a little bit about why I think it's undervalued. Hey, uh, thanks, Michael. Uh, Ring Energy has presented at Intercom's conferences uh, several times. The, you know, you always look at uh, investing in a management team <clears throat> Uh, I mean, you know, Michael, when you're out there looking, uh, you want to make sure they're management. Uh, Ring Energy um, bought Wishbone uh, in yes. a acquisition last year, and that turned them uh, into volume, and they hit free cash flow in December. Uh, way undervalued, uh, undervalued stock when you take a look at their uh, EBITDA and everything else. They are producing the heavy uh, oil that we need and uh, just a really good one to watch. 
Yeah, and I specifically like what you mentioned there. Well, there's two things. You know, they, they achieved free cash flow in December, which is a big deal, especially when you've acquired a new company, because a lot of what's happening right now, if you're seeing specifically with these bigger companies like Oxy, they can't achieve free cash flow because of the fact they have so much debt from the Anadarko acquisition. So that's, you know, so when I hear free cash flow in December after an acquisition, Oh, that just, that it gets the hair back up on my neck and I get really interested. The other thing that I've, no, it's true. The other thing that Stu mentioned that I want to point out from a trading perspective, why I think this company is undervalued is due to the fact that they're specifically producing heavy oil. You know, if, if you look at a barrel of oil, a barrel of oil is 42 gallons. This is kind of the best analogy I think of. Only about 19, you know, I always take a look at, put 42 gallons of milk sitting on your, you know, wherever you are, imagine 42 gallons of milk. Take 19 of them, that goes to gasoline. Take about six of them. That goes to specifically what's called jet fuel. And that's specifically the oil that goes to jet fuel is heavy oil. And so when I, and so part of the reason why I think these guys, you, you see them heavily undervalued right now is due to the fact that the airline industry is pretty much is about to receive a $50 billion bailout because nobody's flying. I actually looked at a flight to Florida last week. Cause it was just interesting. I was like, maybe I'll just go to $35 one way. You can get down to Orlando one way from Denver. Now, I don't know if I'm not going to make that trip. I don't recommend, we don't recommend anybody flying right now, but airline flights are cheap right now. And that's because nobody's flying and that's going to hurt people that specifically produce heavy oil for jet fuel. So when this $50 billion really gets injected into the airline industry, that they're going to go, they're going to mostly use that in turn to hedge a lot of their oil, specifically long at $26. So, or specifically short at $26. So it'll be very interesting to see. And a lot of this money could be flowing back into companies that produce heavy oil, like Ring Energy. Like I said, free cash flow in December is another big sign, especially after an acquisition. And so th those are really why, you know, I like Ring Energy in terms of a trading perspective. I mean, they're, they're pretty low right now. It's, it's a 70 cent stock right now. But if you go back only even beginning of 2020, they were about $3. And that is a good, I think that's a good level that, you know, I don't think we're going to see it next week or in the next month. But I think if you were to talk about a value stock, get your hands on right now that you can buy a large amount of and hold that baby for a long time. I think this is an absolutely um, killer one to get involved with. Are you, are you buying any? You still, you buying up? Absolutely. Uh, I believe in the management. The management team is uh, top notch. And uh, Michael, I'd like to give a couple shout outs if you don't mind. And, Please do. Uh, uh, you really did a great job on your first week. Congratulations on your show. Thank We've you. We've had excellent, excellent feedback. Um, you had a prediction on the uh, uh, Texas Railroad Commission. And believe it or not, um, I had about four or five uh, articles come across my desk that uh, Actually, we're a little late compared to you. So your predictions were uh, pretty cool. These other uh, folks need to catch up to you. And uh, our numbers on your viewers are just out of the park. So uh, we are so thrilled to just have you here on our team. And uh, we'd also like to give a shout out to all the oil field workers mm -hmm. and oil field uh, service. And uh, they truly are the cowboys uh, of our generation. And uh, there's never been a harder work, uh, working group of folks and our prayers go out to all of them. So uh, thank you very much for letting me shout out at them. Yeah, and I want to echo, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for the, for the kind words. I'm excited to get this project started. And uh, I'm, I really enjoy these long form podcasts that we're going to do Monday, Friday. These are the ones that get me going because it allows me to get a little deeper and just, I'm a talker. So, you know, we'll see, we'll be interesting to see how long these go. 
I'm going to throw another one at you. Uh, for a geologist, you're one of the most financially savvy geologists I've ever sat and listened to. So, they, I, I'm not a geologist. I'm, I did study petroleum engineering, but I, 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 you know, those geologists, yeah, no, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, you're a weird, weird dude, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And, and, but just to follow along with that sentiment, everybody who, you know, has lost their job or, you know, really is about to both in the oil services space and in the exploration phase, you know, we, we our, our, you know, our hearts out to you. And if there's anything that, that, that I can do, you know, please connect with me on LinkedIn, find me at Michael Tanner. You can email me my company at any of my company emails. You can find me on LinkedIn. Stu, I'm sure is, you know, he, he would love, he'd love for you to reach out and, you know, really it's, you know, we're all in this together. And, you know, you know, if, if I'd shine one piece of light, oil's going to come back. It's not going to stay $20. Now, unfortunately, it may be a lot, oil may be down here a lot longer than the regular market, but people are going to adjust. Things are to come back. And, you know, we're actually cooking up some ideas on some things we can do on our end. So, but our thoughts and prayers go with you guys. And we'll be keeping you in mind. And please, if you need anything, reach out to anybody at the team at our company. They'd love to, they'd love to talk. Hey, thank you, Michael. Yeah. So I think with that, we're going to go and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell weekly update. Hopefully you're listening to this Monday morning, if not Monday afternoon. Hopefully some of our predictions have already come true. But please, please, please subscribe to Digital Closing Bell, www.oilandgas360.com. We'll see you guys at the digital ticker.